good morning again. Now, just so you know, I, I've got a message here, but I also had a request from the front row being whispered in my ear coming up saying, Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. So, sorry, I have to do Joseph following. I'm going to do two sermons today, one on the one I've got, and I'll do Joseph. Does that sound good, buddy? I've got a nod up the front, so I don't, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing shakes of head behind that having two sermons, but it's good to have requests. Like I feel like I've, I've got a repertoire. I can just go in and pull out a song or something like that, but um, um, it, that's really encouraging to have uh, requests from the congregation. So we'll see you after a day if I still have that. But today we're, we're starting a brand new series called We Are Gathered. So right from the get-go, those who are here, you already working into the sermon because you have gathered here today um, and and it's important for us to understand why we are called together. Um, one of the things that especially over the past few years with this coming out of COVID, church has become that the thing that gets dropped off the list because life is so busy, life is so hectic and, and sometimes our life isn't together and so church becomes the thing that we drop because I'll wait to get my life together before I get back to church. Sometimes we feel exhausted and worn out and we go, I can't sort of, maybe we come to church feeling we've got to be that certain person. I've got to be that good person. I've got to be that person who's got my life in together. And, and so meanwhile, as we come into church and we're sort of fighting the urge to strangle our children or husbands or wives, um, and then we get to church and we go, I am holy. Like, um, you know what? God sees through all that. Like, we may not, but God does. But it's important for us to come to church and, and actually gather as the church, not just the hour that we are here. Some of you are going, oh, straight an hour. Like, not in that way you preach, Pastor Keith. We're going to be lucky here for an hour and a half. But like, whatever time that is, it's more than that. And because, and God has created the church not to be this one moment a week, but to be a body of believers that there are such great benefits in doing this. And it's not just this time, it's the other times that we have opportunities together. When we actually deliberately look out for our brothers and sisters in Christ, all of a sudden we are being the church, we are intentionally gathering. And so this week when you get your homeworks, I'm reminding about a few times, if you forget, it's on you. But the thing is, that if we this week seek to encourage someone, maybe someone who is here, someone who isn't here, we are being the church. We are gathering together, and it's important for us to do that. But as we jump into this week, we, we, I wanted to ask you a question to begin with. What do you know about solitary confinement? Now, again, some people go, well, that's what I do to my kids when they're naughty. Okay, well, yes, that may be time out. Um, it happens. But the thing is, it's interesting that solitary confinement or something called administrative segregation is what they call it in prison, is often used in, in prisons to, to further discipline unruly or dangerous inmates. Um, so going back a few years, there was a study in 2012 that published by the American Psychological Association and reported that deprived of normal human interaction, many segregated prisoners reportedly suffer from mental health problems, including anxiety, panic, insomnia, paranoia, aggression and depression. The article goes on to say evidence of these effects come as no surprise. So it borders on common sense. But it's common sense with a lot of empirical research that supports it. 
So much of what we do and who we are is rooted in social context. If you spend all your time by yourself and you, you're the hero of your own story, you can be that hero, but maybe when challenges rise up around you, I can't do that, I can't engage in that. So much of what we do and who we are is rooted in a social context. They didn't need studies to work out that it was actually having an effect on these prisoners. And think about that for a moment. We use solitary confinement to discipline criminals. And with that in mind, why have many of us willingly chosen to live lives of isolation, cut off from others? What are we missing? If so much of what we do and who we are is rooted in our social context, then who we are, then who are we apart from those things? What mental, physical, emotional and spiritual benefits are we missing out on when we fail to gather? And so over the next four weeks, I hope to address some of these questions. I believe that in gathering together, there is a powerful and more importantly, a biblical understanding that we must grab a hold of. I believe one of the, one of the most important lessons we, as we gather together is to encourage one another. And encouragement is one of those things that we all need from time to time. We, we, like, we can, we can sort of pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and press on and get what we need to do, but getting, as, as we say in Australia, a pat on the back or like, it's, it's something to go, hey, you're doing a good job. Or, hey, when you've done a bad job on something, like, you still get that encouragement. It's all right. Let's keep on going. You see this on the sporting field, even if someone knocks on a ball, or drops a pass or misses a tackle, the team still encourages one another because they don't want everyone to give up at the same time. Encouragement is important when things are going well and when things are going bad and when things are in the middle. And the writer of Hebrews said in 10, 24, 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You may notice from the passage that the way we encourage each other and spur one another on towards love and good deeds is by gathering together. It's very hard to encourage people in absence. Like, even, even I, I get encouraged when I hear people are praying for me. And people can be praying for me and, and, and there might be benefits in that. But if I don't see them, they can't tell me that. If they don't pick up a phone and say, Hey, I've been praying for you this week or send me a text. I've been praying for you in this, in this situation. I don't know anything about it. And so to actually receive encouragement, we need presence. We need to have some way of coming together. You can be someone who's a positive thinker and maybe you have a, a little chant that you sort of tell yourself in the morning and, and to get yourself going. Maybe it's like years ago, I heard this Christian comedian and the way he put it, he says, there's two ways we can wake up in the morning. He said, first of all, those who like fear the morning, like with dread and, and, and the opening of their eyes, they always think they haven't got enough sleep. They will say, good God, it's morning. Whereas people that have a reason to get up in the morning, maybe they're a little bit more positive. Maybe they're a morning person say, good morning, God. 
Very little difference of words, but very different, a lot of different in outcome. And so we can be that positive person, but at some point in time, we run out of the oomph to, to keep ourselves going. We break down, we hide ourselves in a room and, and sleep for 12 hours. We eat enormous amounts of chocolate just to get through. But the thing is, there is, some, there is something deeply transformative and powerful about being part of a group committed to encouraging one another towards a common goal. When, when COVID hit, everything shut down and it was, I suppose, it was one of those mixed, well, things with mixed feelings that they, they really wanted to get the sports happening again. And like, meanwhile, people are sort of isolated in their homes and going, we can't do anything and you guys get to go out and get paid money and play sports. But one of the things, they couldn't have any crowds. And it was such a, uh, I suppose, an isolating thing to run out in this field that's normally filled with people. They, they, they actually did a couple of things. They put faces of people up in the, in the grandstand so they had the idea of people being there to, to cheer them on. But faces of people don't cheer very well. So they end up having a soundtrack playing as well to actually encourage the people to, to the players to go on and do great things. It was a false thing, but it was trying to overcome that point of encouragement. And that's what we, as a church, we are able to gather together to encourage one another to move towards the purposes God has, has laid upon us. So today I want to look at a few things. The first one is spur one another on. Now, that idea of spur, and it says spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You can actually spur people on in the wrong way. Like you can annoy them, you can get under their, up their noses, get under, like sort of just get in their faces and that does spur people on to do something that you may not want the response. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says, we need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And so the idea of a spur, when you think of a cowboy and, and I don't, how many people have ridden a horse fast? Okay, I've sat on a horse and done that thing where you sort of go, oh yes, I'm right, woo, going too fast there. Like, I've, that's what I've done. I've never had spurs where you put it into the horse so it goes really, really fast. Because what would happen? The horse would go really, really fast. I would stay in the air in like one of those cartoon moments where I'm floating in the air for a second and then I'd fall. That's what would happen. So I, I haven't spurred a horse on to go fast. But that's what the cowboys did. Because they wanted to chase after the, the cattle, chase after the, the bad guys, and they would dig their spurs in the horse so it would go forward with momentum quickly. And the only other time you see the word used in the New Testament is in Acts 15.39, where Paul and Barnabas have such a sharp disagreement that they separate from each other in their mission work. Strong's Concordance defines the word as an incitement to good, or dispute in anger, contention. And the point here being that spurring someone towards love and good deeds is not a passive action, but very intentional, passionate, and purposeful action. I, I think there's been times when I've, I've put a, a challenge or an idea out front of the church, and, and maybe I've done it in a way where I'm going, I hope people do it, I hope people get involved. And there's been other times when I've been passionate about stuff and I'm saying, can you help? Can you do this? Can you get involved with this? Can you, let's move together in this. 
two different ways of doing it. And so as believers, we need to move towards Christ-centered love and good works that all point back to him. We also need to help others avoid a stagnant life of faith, isolated from community. And I've had discussions with this with believers because some believers, some of us as believers think that my main goal as a Christian is to make sure my Christian walk is going forward. So we, we've got that very Western individual sort of a thinking where I've got to worry about my life and, and okay, I can't, I can't control what other people are doing. And so I'm not going to annoy them. I might look and look down on them in my mind. If I'm tall, I'll look down on them in, in physically, but like I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rock the boat for them. The thing is, again, towards love and good deeds, the Hebrew writer of Hebrews is saying, we need to rock the boat for some people. We need to rock the boat. If we're feeling that they're not living out their Christian life, if we feel that they're falling away from the, the plans and the dreams that God has for them, if we feel that there is so much more they haven't yet realized from, from, from God, it actually says we need to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Now, please do not show up at church next Sunday wearing spurs and going around kicking people, okay? I'm not telling you to do that, okay? It would be funny. I would laugh, and then I'd get in trouble, okay? So I don't want me to get in trouble. So, so please don't do that. But the thing is, are you thinking of ways that you can encourage those around you to, to do more, to use their gifts, to be present, to be growing in their faith? It can be far too easy to grow complacent and disillusioned with the convenience and the chaos of the 21st century life. It's too easy to get discouraged and too dangerous to journey alone. So we need to spur one another on. We also need to realize that we don't give up. Now, life is, is a marathon. It's not a 200-meter race. For some of you, a 200 meter race, it feels like a marathon. So that's like, so it's, it needs to be like a marathon. There are going to be long stretches of relatively, relative ease. Like, and again, if you watch a marathon runner, they, once they get, they might start off quickly and they get into a, a position where they're running comfortably, somewhere they can keep going for a long period of time. And cause again, if they, if they go too fast, they've got to run a long, long way. And if they run out at, at 20 kilometers, that's going to be a really slow second half of the race. And so we need to realize that there are going to be times of, 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 of relative ease. Um, it might be before kids. That might be your time of relative ease. It might be after kids. Um, it might be after your grandkids have grown up, so you're not picking them up from school each day. It might be like a time after work or it might be a time when you are in a comfortable place in your work those times happen but they also then followed followed by times of adversity times of despair moments of feeling like you want to give up and this is race is long enough that the cycle repeats itself over and over again has anyone had times of trials that came and went and then you went, I finally made it, life is all good and then more times of trials and tribulations came? It, that's, that's life. It's, it's part of being alive and, and so the joy and, and a part of that is that we don't have to do it by ourselves. Even those whose faith is in Christ 
are not immune to the pitfalls of life. There are some who would go as far to say that believers should expect more difficulty and not less. And there are people with us even today who are immersed in incredibly trying seasons of adversity. To you, I would say, don't give up. You are not alone. Thank you for being here today. King David, who knew a thing or two about adversity, reminds us in Psalm 35. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Has anyone here had a recent time where... where the stress or the pain or the struggles of life have grabbed them for the moment and yet then God has shone into your life. He hasn't removed the, the journey that you had to go through through that struggle, but he has come through in major ways at the end. One of the reasons we gather together is to encourage those who are hurting to keep pressing on. Together we remember there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You may be somewhere right now where you can't see your way out of the struggle that you're in. And there might be someone who here who says, hey, I was where you were six months ago, a month ago. God has done an amazing work in my life. God won't leave you alone. We get to share that together. Our passage from Hebrews said, there are some who have made a habit of not meeting together. That's a very polite way of saying they've, they've, they're, they're intentionally not coming to church. They're intentionally not gathering with other believers. I, I know many of you probably understand the idea of a habit and what they are, how many days it takes to make and break them. But let's take it a step further today. The word translated as habit, here is the word ethos in the original language. It also means custom or right. And it sounds an awful like our English word ethos, which is obviously not a coincidence. The English definition of ethos is the distinguishing character, sentiment, moral nature, or guiding principles of a person, group, or institution. What Hebrews is saying is that some have made it their custom, it is who they are, to neglect gathering. That's what Hebrews is saying. That some have made a habit of not gathering and it's becoming who they are. And there are many reasons why we, we come together and we'll explore several of them in, the, in, in, the, in the, the next four weeks. But I want to make it clear about something here. For all the benefits we receive in fellowship, it's deeper than that. We gather together because it is who we are. It's not about me coming to church. It is about us coming to church. When adversity comes to our doorstep, when things don't go our way, when we are confused and frustrated and angry, we join with others in fellowship and we spur each other on towards love and good deeds because it is who we are and it is what we do. Thirdly, we need to do it more, not less. Now, some of you may have had the experience in your life and you've been a part of a church where there is something on every day of the week, every morning, afternoon, evening, and, and the, the, the church says, you've got to be at everything. Like, I, I, I know that happens at times. And again, 
I'm not saying there's no benefit in that, but again, if it's just to boost numbers, if that's the goal of, of, of that achievement in a church, then it's missing the point of why we gather. Like, if we feel that we have to pressure everyone to gather at events multiple times, all of a sudden people stop coming to any of them. But at the same time, I, I don't want to sort of under-emphasize the need of us gathering regularly. And so to do it more, not less. And again, as I was saying before, it may not be in this hour or this two hours that we're here on a Sunday. It might be a phone call during the week. It might be a text message. It might be going for a walk with someone down by the river. It might be sort of catching up with someone for coffee. It might be a long conversation on the phone with someone so you can be together. It might be gathering together in a small group and so that you can sort of be encouraged through that idea of gathering and being one. We need to do it more, not less. Let me ask you something. I want you to use your imagination for a, for a moment. If you spent your whole life thinking that you were an antelope and then one day you learned that you were actually a lion, wouldn't you want to start doing all the things that lions do? Wouldn't you want to learn about life as a lion? And as you learned, wouldn't it be reasonable to think that every day you would look, sound and smell and be more like a lion than an antelope? Wouldn't it be weird to see the same lion going back to the antelope life after tasting the alternative? Isn't it also weird to see professing Christians behave, behave in a way that seems contrary to their nature? Isn't it reasonable to think that a person grows deeper in faith and understand and understanding of Jesus and his bride that they would want to spend more time with others who believed as well? As we grow excited with who, what God is doing in our life, we want to be with other believers and share with them and encourage them. And to be, and as they share their story, going, oh, look at what God did in my life this week. And we go, that is amazing. I can't wait to get together next week and find out what God is doing again. The thing is, we get to the point where we are not seeing that desire in us. It's part of our nature, our ethos to gather together. And it makes sense why this passage in Hebrew says we should do it all the more as we see the day approaching. I think most of us in this room to, today would agree we need more encouragement. Anyone here want to receive less encouragement? Maybe you've been encouraged too much. No one? So anyone wants to read, receive the same amount of encouragement? Anyone want to receive more encouragement? Some people don't want to receive any encouragement. Okay, I, I've got photographic memory. I won't encourage you ever. I like, don't want to upset you. But we, like we all want to be encouraged. If we, do a, if we do a good job in something, we want to be encouraged. If we do a mediocre job in something, we want to be encouraged. Like we do a bad job in it, like, and the veggies are all burnt and the kids eat it. Well, at least that's something. Like We want to be encouraged. We need to have make room today so we need to get more encouragement not less more spurring on to love and good deeds not less more of the bride of christ not less and we need to spend more time acting like lions not less so as i wrap up today i want to share you a few with you a few verses from matthew 24 and in, in this chapter jesus is talking about the end times and i want to look specifically at verses 10 to 13 it says, at that time, many will turn away from faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. 
Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And I'm going to work this a bit backwards. So here's the question. Who here wants their love to grow cold? Anyone want to put your hand up? No, no one? Okay. Uh, who here wants to be um, influenced by wickedness? Okay. That's good. Uh, who here wants to be deceived by false prophets? Okay. Um, who here wants to betray and hate each other? Good. I'm, I'm glad no hands came up on that one. So, I'm... Okay. So the first part of the verse says, at that time many will turn away from faith and the results will be all those other things. All those other things. So betraying and hating, being um, deceived, being seeing increase of wickedness, seeing love grow cold. That's what's going to happen if we fall away from faith. And the thing is, when we choose to lessen the priority of gathering together with believers... When we make that choice either passive or sort of like in a, in a way that's sort of intentional, all of a sudden it's a step backwards in our faith because we don't do it by ourselves. We do it together. And all of a sudden every Sunday that you don't come becomes a Sunday or every time that we have an opportunity to gather that we don't gather becomes a time that's easier not to be there. It becomes our easier choice and as all of a sudden we, we fill that with other things. What can we be doing instead? So this is a way to guard against being deceived, being being a betrayer and a hater, being someone whose love grows cold, is to remain true and stand firm in our faith. And we do that together. We don't do that sort of by ourselves. It is so unbelievably important that we commit to meeting together. It's not a stretch to say that for many of us, it's a matter of living or dying. We cannot stand on our own. We need encouragement. We need to be spurred onto love and good deeds. We need to not, we will not survive in isolation. We need each other. So two challenges this week. Maybe more than that. I had two. It might be more now. Um, First challenge. I want you to commit. Now, commitment, I, when I do, we do a wedding, I talk to the couple about commitment because usually when people get married, they're at that point where they go, oh, everything's just flowers, bunnies, rainbows, unicorns. Um, your, your partner does something wrong and, and, and breaks one of your dishes or something. Oh, so, oh, I'll get another one. Some years into the future. For some people, it might be some months. Some people, it might be some weeks. That endorphin ideal that's happening in the brain disappears and all of a sudden the snoring the habits the um the the different things that they do begin to sort of grind you down and you go how did I fall in love with this person now the thing is when that happens this is what I remind the couple is that love is a choice. It's a commitment that you make. There are days that you won't feel it. But the commitment you make is a choice that you can make. It's a choice. It's not about feeling like doing this today. So I'm going to ask you to commit. I'm going to ask you to make a choice to commit to fellowship. And, and take up the opportunities that we provide as a church. Once a month, we have our our not so young gather 
um, here on a, on a Wednesday. Well, next next month it's at the Heritage Village. I don't know if that's sort of they're going back to their younger years or not, but anyway, we'll just leave that one alone. Um, oh, that's a that's a horse and cart I took to school when I was a kid. Like, okay, anyway, let's move away from that one. But the thing is. Like, that's an opportunity to gather. Every second Friday night, our youth have an opportunity to gather, to have fun, to grow friendships, and to learn a little bit about God. Our men are gathering semi-regularly. So this month, we're gathering at our place, having a fire, and having a good chance to chat, having some, hopefully some good food. Make the opportunity to gather at that. We spoke at our recent AGM about getting our engaged group ministries going again. To, to coming along and joining together in prayer. All these are opportunities that you have to gather, to be intentional about that. And then importantly, to make a choice to gather here, to commit to being here on a Sunday so that you can worship, so you can, you can learn, you can fellowship together. I want you to make that commitment. Second point. The homework I spoke of earlier, we want to get to the point where we are actively encouraging someone. So everyone here, everyone here has the opportunity this week to encourage someone. Whether you're a a child, so Josh, you can encourage someone this week. You know that? Yep, he gave me a nod. So he understands. So, So if Josh understands, it kind of lets the rest of you sort of be under that same banner. It might be something you say. It might be something you do. It might be some way that you help someone out. It might be sending a text saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Or sending a text to someone specifically, how can I be praying for you this week? It might be seeing someone who's in need and just helping them bear their burden. But each one of us can encourage someone this week. And that's what we're called to do as a church. Third bit of homework. I know it's a lot of homework. It's Sunday. You've got to go to work this week. I'm going to give you a third bit. I want you to start thinking about the things that prevent you from gathering and really examine the reasons that you use and then the reasons that you use to gather. Because sometimes even the reasons we use to gather are not good enough. And sometimes the reasons we use to gather, it might be a really important reason and it might overcome four of our reasons on the other side. Like for me... Like, I have to be here. Like, that's an important reason for me to be here. Like, I'm going, yeah, like, I, Tony won't be happy if I'm not here. Like, um, uh, but, but the thing is, for some of us, we, we, we have an idea that I have to be here. Or mum and dad drag me here. Or, like, what will people think of me if I'm not here? None of those reasons are, are really solid reasons to keep you coming. But if we build up our, our understanding of why we gather together, to be encouraged, to be in fellowship, to have that opportunity to see God move, to support other people. All of a sudden, when you start going that way, all of a sudden, our reasons for gathering become so much wider because if we're in that individual mindset, we start doing things, the worship did nothing for me this morning. I didn't get anything out of it. Pastor Keith, what he said, went way over my head or we went way too long. And we start thinking about ourselves and we, we think... I come to church to support other people as well. That gives us a reason. And we start looking at some of the reasons that we don't come. I'm too tired. I'm, I've got other things on. Like, 
when we think of the Israelites, God gave them the opportunity to say, on this day you will celebrate me and be my family, to be my nation. And God is calling us to, to make to make a priority the idea of gathering together. And again, we live in a world now where one day is probably not the only day that we need to gather. Next week, we're looking at the idea of gathering for rhythm, to gather for momentum. As we move together as a church, things start working well together. When people are growing together, all of a sudden people are using their gifts together and all of a sudden there's more things we can do as a church. As, as we use rhythm as a church, all of a sudden we see God doing more because I think we're open to God moving amongst us. And we hear testimonies of what God has done. We see people come to know Christ. We see people overcoming the trials in their life and finding strength in God. Now, to, to be honest, I'm not going to ask you this question. I don't want to be disencouraged, but... I, I want to see that for our church. I want to see a church that's moving with great rhythm. I want us to be able to come together on a Saturday, a Sunday morning and, and celebrate who we are together. And then to know that, hey, if I'm missing on a Sunday, people are praying for me, people are caring about me. And instead of going, hey, we haven't seen them for ages. Wonder what they're doing today. So if someone's not here this morning, encourage them to be here next Sunday. Do whatever you can to encourage them to be here. Maybe just have a good conversation during the week and, and, and take some time to pray together. A couple of other ways that you can and encourage this idea of coming together. Next Saturday morning, we've got a working bee. No, I'm, I'm, I'm serious because you know what? For me, and I don't know if this is a guy thing, when I serve with others... I fellowship with them. When I'm working with other people and you, you accomplish something, all of a sudden you achieve something. And like We've had people that have been working in our garden outside. So before you leave today, check out our garden. I reckon our corn has grown probably 15 centimetres since Wednesday. It's, it's going great guns. And so to be able to achieve those things together, all of a sudden that becomes... We spoke a couple of weeks about having an Ebenezer to remember what God had done, has done. When we work together as a church, we have these moments like, do you remember when we did that? And then God worked through that. Those become moments of strength for the church. Also, um, I said to Jimmy I was going to do this, but I thought I'd save it for my sermon. We've got, these have come in. I think last time I was here, I, I promoted the word for today. If there's someone you want to encourage in reading the Bible, how about you give one of them one of these to them. You have one as well. Each day, hey, what did you get out of the Bible reading today? Is there anything that really challenged you? This is what really challenged me. At the moment, the youth, a number of the youth and I are actually sharing a devotional on new version. You can, so that's it's technology. So some of you may be scared of that. That's okay. But it means I can actually see who's read the Bible passage. We can make comments on what we've said. I can even ask questions of them. And again, it's, it's a work in progress. But that point is to encourage them into having a, a, a habit of reading God's word and being challenged by it. So those are other things you can do to gather. And in our world, just using technology, where you can do that. You can encourage someone in their work and, and their, their habit of reading God's word. There's so much we can do as a church in doing that. So you may have something in your mind that you go, hey, this is another way that we can encourage someone. Hey, feel free to share that on our Facebook page. Let other people in the church know about that. 
so we can be doing those things together. So that's all I've got to say this week. Um, There's going to be plenty more as we look to understand the reasons why we are gathered as a church and the importance it is for us as we move together and as we move together in God's mission as well. Let's just take a moment to pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you today for uh, the work that you've been doing and I thank you for this church. Uh, Lord, I do pray that you would grow this church more and more, that you would get us to a point where we are we have a passion to be able to come together and to, to learn from you, to, to serve with one another and to, to be encouraged and to know that we have a place that we are cared about and that we are held up in prayer. And so, Lord, I, I pray that we see the importance of us being here. We, see, we, we know the reasons why we should be gathered here today because when we are not here, we, the church misses out. The church misses out when we are missing. And so, Lord, I pray that we would understand that, Lord, and and desire to continue to grow as one church, as one family, under your, your guiding hand. I pray this in your name. Amen.